read one verse this morning. It's uh, from that glorious prophecy of Jesus Christ in uh, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. Verse 14, Matthew chapter 24. It's an easy one to find, the first one in the New Testament, the first of the Gospels. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. I'd like to just focus on that particular verse. There's a lot of prophecy that surrounds that verse, but I think that that's most, one of the most glorious verses in that chapter. There are many signs in this chapter that we are, we are told of, but here I think is the greatest one, that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached. Will be preached. That's a promise of God. He didn't say might be preached. He said, will be preached around the world, and then he would come. Praise his name. And that's what we're about at uh, uh, Lighthouse of Holiness. I'd like to speak uh, this morning on what we preach at the Lighthouse of Holiness across the border. We call it Faro de Santidad over there. What do we preach over there? And I believe that what we preach over there must be preached in all places. We're not an exclusive church that is preaching the gospel. The whole church needs to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And especially in those areas where Christ is not named. That's where Paul went. He went to those places where Christ is not named. And there are many places even in our own communities, where Christ is not being named. When we had a mission on this side of the border in Texas, the Lord led me to minister to children that have no Christian parents. And I realized something. Almost in every single community in America, I think I can say that, has children that are not getting into our churches because they don't have parents to bring them. And we have maybe about 40, 50 churches in a community of 200,000. And there are only two of those churches, including our own at that time, that are picking up children in buses to get them into the church. So Christ is not being named anymore to the younger generation of those in America, especially those that don't have people to bring them into church. There are thousands in every single community. And at the Punto, there's not many people preaching at the Punto. We talked about that last night. But first of all, I want to focus on that verse. And I have a question, first of all, what is the gospel? I want to make sure that we're all in agreement, in agreement with this, because today we see so many counterfeits of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We need to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness. So many gospels are being preached that are appealing to the flesh these days, that are appealing to the flesh. But what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think that we see the gospel in the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. It's a perfect picture to me of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that Lazarus had been dead in the tomb and in the darkness of the tomb for four days. The four days. The hope of life had long since gone. The hope of life had long since gone. In the first 72 hours, they say the internal organs of a deceased person begin to decay. Then round about four days, and this was this time with Lazarus, the body begins to swell. The body begins to swell. And worse than that, there is a smell, a putrid smell. Putrid smell. doesn't matter what kind of deodorant you might wear in life, you're going to smell when you die. Understand that. You're going to smell when you die. And there was no hope of restoration for this man within himself or in any other man except uh, other than Jesus Christ. And each one of us was in a state similar to this one. We were dead, as Paul said to the church in Ephesus, in our a trespass and in our sin. That is the primary cause of death, both physical and spiritual. And by spiritual death, I mean separation from God. Just as sure as Lazarus was separated from his loved ones because of his death, sin separates us from God. It separates us from God. And if we die in that state, it will be hell for sure. That's a part of the gospel. That's a part of the gospel, right? That the cause is sin. The cause is sin. And sin is a putrid stench in the nostrils of a holy God. It's a putrid stench, like a man who has been dead for four days to us. The sting of death is sin. It's sin that causes death as the sting of a scorpion or a stingray. That's what that word means in 1 Corinthians 15, 56. It's a sting of death. And to some creatures, this can cause death. Stings from these types of creatures, right? But in the mercy of God, in the mercy of of God. Jesus gave three commandments and each one of those commandments that he gave at the tomb of Lazarus is important to us. Each one of these commandments. Remember the first commandment that he gave. If you remember that story quite well, the first commandment that Jesus gave when he stood at the entrance to that tomb, he said, take away the stone. Take away the stone. This is the beginning, isn't it? This is the beginning of hope. You see, when he took away that stone and when they rolled away that stone, light broke in to the darkness. Bright light broke into the hopelessness of that dark tomb. 
light came in. And then, and then there was a second command, a second command that came to the dead Lazarus. What was that command? Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. First of all, Lazarus had been given light and then he had been given life. And this is an indication of what Christ wants to do with all of mankind. I believe that the gospel is for everybody, not just a select few. Not just a select few. This is what God desires to do with all mankind. Jesus, the everlasting one, broke into time like light into a tomb, light into hopelessness when he came into this world. As the uh, prophet Zacharias said three months before Jesus' birth, he said that Jesus came to give light to those who sit in darkness, right? That's an expression there of hopelessness. You're in darkness, you're sitting down because you've given up. That was the situation that Lazarus was in, in his death. So he came to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. That was the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And he wants to raise you up from your spiritual death and to bring you out of that darkness into his marvelous light. That's what Jesus Christ wants to do. In Ephesians 2.1, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, Oh, he's rich in mercy, isn't he? Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, like Lazarus in trespasses, made us alive together with who? With Jesus Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It is not by the effort of man. There was nothing that Lazarus could have done for himself, and there was nothing that we could have done for ourselves. It was purely the work of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ. In him was the life, as it says in John 1 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's all men, I believe. The light that came into the darkness. What does light represent in this particular verse? It's spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding of truth and knowledge. Those who are dead and in darkness must first understand when this light comes in, the state that they are in. And apart from a touch from God, their situation is hopeless. It's hopeless. But because Christ has given his life on the cross for sin and has risen again, we can be given life, even eternal life, through Jesus Christ. That's the understanding. That's the light that you must first have. You see, we were blind, spiritually blind. It's Christ that must open up the eyes of the heart so that we may first have that understanding before he calls us forth to life. We need to have that understanding. All of this is a part of the gospel. And this good news is for all who will respond 
to the call to life, to repent, yes, to repent and believe when they're given the light of the gospel from Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jesus is a life-giving spirit. He's a life-giving spirit. He can give life. That's why I don't believe in evolution, because evolution uh, denies the law of biogenesis, that all life comes from life. It always have. And Jesus is everlasting life. He is everlasting life and he is the one that gave us life in the first place. The first place, he is a life-giving spirit. The the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. The first Adam became a living being, didn't he? And he died spiritually as soon as he disobeyed the commandment of God. Disobeyed the commandment of God. But anyway, this miracle, this miracle of Jesus Christ at the tomb of Lazarus, what was it about? Jesus told us. Even before he brought Lazarus back to life, even before he gave him light, he said to Martha on the way to the tomb, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He shall live. That's the meaning of the miracle, isn't it? So, so sometimes we get too uh, we get too fixated on the miracle itself, and we miss the meaning. Each of Jesus's miracles have a meaning to them, and this is the meaning of this miracle. And it's only because of His mercy. It's only because of His mercy. Understand this. We must understand that everything that we do is in light of the mercy of God. It's only because of the mercy of God that we can present ourselves a living and a holy sacrifice that's acceptable to God. Why? Because of His mercy. And only because of His mercy can we do this. This is the gospel, is it not? This is the gospel that we must preach. But what we've so often forgotten in our churches today, this is not the full extent of the gospel. This is not the full extent of the gospel. Yes, we are given life, even eternal life. But there is something more about this light that I must say, because I don't want the blood of you on my hands when I have finished preaching. One day I have to give an account to God of what I have preached. And I don't want your blood on my hands. So I'm going to preach the gospel in full today. In full today. As I've said, in Him, in Jesus Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. You can't have the life that Jesus gives without the light. The light is something that you possess for yourselves. We are given the light and with the light comes responsibility. It comes responsibility. It says in John chapter 1 verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness as it did in that tomb, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
What does that word comprehend mean in John 1, 5? Comprehend, it means to make one's own. To make that light that God has given me as if it was my light that I am to give to others. I don't keep it selfishly to myself. Understand this. This is part of the gospel. There is an understanding from the moment that that stone rolls away and the call comes that I can no longer remain where I am like Lazarus, but I must leave the darkness and I must begin to walk in that light. We are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are making that light our very own, our very own. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Yes, that's a part of the gospel. I've left the darkness of the world behind me and now I'm walking in his glorious light. It's become my light. It's become a part of who I am and what I do. It's become a part of what I say and my attitude. In life, I am walking in that light. Listen to what John said again in another place in his first epistle in chapter 1 and verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, what? We lie and we do not practice the truth. We lie. Listen, my friends, that is the gospel too. That is the gospel too. But we seem to have forgotten that. These days. That's why so many reject Jesus Christ. It's too easy to accept these days, isn't it, Jesus? You just say a prayer and you're in. You can go live how you want. It doesn't matter. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's a lie of the devil. John 3.19. What does it say in John 3.19? After that glorious God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I love that verse. But listen, it goes on after that. Listen, John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Light came to them. The stone was removed. The commandment was given. Take the stone away in their life. The light had come in. Jesus had called and they sat there in the darkness. And we are calling them saved today. You can love your darkness and love God. No, you can't. Not by my gospel that I have right here. You can't love both. You can't have both. It's light or darkness. The two are opposites. The two are opposites. When many had opportunity, the stone of death was removed. Even when Jesus was in the world, they rejected him. The Jews, his own. He came to his own and his own received him not. Why did they not receive him? Because the message that he preached convicted them and they loved their darkness. They loved their darkness and they would not come out into the light. This is what we've done today for fear of rejection. We've removed the light from the gospel message. We will not expose sin for the sake of saving face. For the sake of saving face. Listen, sometimes the Holy Spirit has come upon me at the Ponto. When I've talked to those, those guys and under the threat of my own life, I have told them they're in sin and they need to leave the punter behind them. 
They can't have both. Some of them think they do. They actually think they can go on in this lifestyle and they're children of God because they were baptized in the Roman Catholic Church as a baby. It's a lie. It's a lie. You've got to leave this life behind you of sin. You can no longer love darkness and love the light. You can't have both. It's God and mammon. There's no in-between. There's no middle road. This is the gospel. We need to preach it. We need to preach it without shame. As Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a power of God unto salvation for the first for the Jew and then for the Greek. He wasn't ashamed. He talked about the righteousness of God that we can receive freely, but he also talked about the wrath of God if you don't receive it. If you stay in the darkness, if you stay in the darkness, and then my friend, once you respond to that call, we now have a responsibility. There is another command that Christ gave. Another command that came to Lazarus when he began to walk again in that light. What did Jesus say to him? He gave him one more command in John eleven forty four. It says these words, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, what did he say? Loose him. Loosen his grave clothes, in other words, and let him go. All that is associated with the grave and the smell of it must go once you've been given this life. Everything. Everything. Because of his mercy. Right? We are to be a living sacrifice that is holy. It says that in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. What does that mean to be a living sacrifice? It tells you in the next verse not to be conformed to this world anymore. We're not conformed. The world is the grave. And we need to remove everything in our lives that is associated with the grave. Get rid of the stench. This is the problem I see with so much witnessing these days. People go out witnessing with their grave clothes on. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Listen, understand this. It says in our main verse today that this is the gospel of the kingdom. It's not the gospel of this world. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Of the kingdom. Listen, Philippians 1.27 says this in the beginning of the verse. Only conduct yourself, he tells the church at Philippi. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Conduct yourselves. Conduct. What does that word conduct mean? It reminds me kind of a citizenship class that you would take in high school. So that you learn how to conduct yourself in a way that was considered civil in the United States. I don't know if they have those classes anymore. They're probably teaching to something completely different now, aren't they? Right, in those citizenship classes, right? Right, how to be gay. Perfectly okay, isn't it? In the United States today. But it's like a citizenship class. We now conduct ourselves in a way that is fitting, not for this earth, but for the kingdom of God. That's what it means. This is the gospel of kingdom I, of the kingdom. I have been so transformed that I am no longer walking in darkness. I have embraced the light. I have made it my own. And now I'm walking in the light. I am walking in the light. This is the gospel of the kingdom. But the gospel I see preached these days is the gospel of this world. 
It's the gospel of this world. This is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. We're commanded to walk in the light. If then you were raised with Christ, Colossians 3, Verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ like Lazarus, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Now we are citizens of heaven where he is sitting. That means sitting in victory. In victory at the right hand of the far of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Let me tell you, in the church today, people have become so fixated on the things of this world they can't seem to break free anymore. What's happening? What's happening to the church today? Comes to Super Bowl Sunday. Where is everybody for the church? It shows you who they put first. We're not fixed. Our minds are not fixed on the things of this world anymore. That's what I love most about the Asbury Revival. When it came to Super Bowl Sunday, nobody cared. Why? They had the presence of God. It meant nothing. All of the things of this world, as the old song used to say, grew strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Fix your mind on Jesus. Fix your mind on Jesus. Listen to this very carefully. My friends, you can have the principles of light. You can have the knowledge and you can have the understanding, but not the purity of light. You can have the principles, but not the purity. That word light in John 1.4, when it refers to Jesus, it means Truth and knowledge, yes, light is truth and knowledge, but there is also a spiritual purity that is in harmony. That's what the word means in total with that light. There is a spiritual purity. Many might proclaim the truth, but they do not have a spiritual purity that is in harmony with the truth. Do you see my meaning? Many, they may not have an understanding of some things. It's possible not to have an understanding. I know when somebody comes to Christ, they only have a certain degree of light. They don't understand all of these things, but they are to walk in that degree of light that they have, that understanding that they have. Right? There must be a purity that is in harmony with the truth and with the understanding that we have. Right? The truth is that Christ died for sinners that they may be forgiven, but the cross doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Jesus Christ wanted to, to accomplish something even far greater. It is finished. There was total victory that Jesus wants to give us, even in this life that we see on the cross. We see it. Hebrews chapter 13, 12 through 14. Listen to these words. This is the cross too. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might what? You don't hear this word too often in the church today. Sanctify. What does sanctify mean? You see it more in the Spanish. Santo, santificar. Santo is holy. Sanctificar is to make holy. To sanctify means to make holy. Holy, his people, with his blood, he suffered outside of the gate for this very purpose. Yes, he died separated from the world, that we might be separated from the world too, to be sanctified. 
Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. He died to sanctify, to set apart a special people who are willing to be apart from this world and to suffer with Jesus. As it says in these verses, there is no continuing city or country. Yes, a lot of people are saying today that America is going to pot. You know what? I've got news for you. Every other country that came before it went to pot at some point. My country went to pot a long time ago. All countries, all cities. There's no continuing city except the city above, which is heaven. So we need to be living for this city. The things of this world are not permanent. But we seek one to come. So we must be set apart. This is the sacrifice to be set apart. To be set apart, we might suffer reproach with Jesus. That is true. But as it goes on to say in these verses, my life is hidden with him above. That's why I can be a living sacrifice. Because you know what? Even if I have to sacrifice my body, you know what? He's alive, so I'm going to live too. You can't. You can kill my body, but you can't kill my soul. You can't kill my soul. That's a living sacrifice right there. That's what it means. So I'm no longer going to live for this world. You separate myself from the secular. That's what it means to sanctify. Right. And to dedicate myself completely to God. It's not only separating, but it's dedicating ourselves. It's not only a turning from, it's a turning to. Oh, I love that part most of all, don't you? Turning to God. Right, dedicating myself to him. I believe, I believe, I don't know if you're all in agreement with me, but I have to preach my convictions here, but I believe that purification of the heart is possible. I believe that sanctification entire is possible by the purification of the blood of Jesus Christ, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Peter gave testimony to this, work of the Spirit among both the Gentiles and the Jews that had taken place in the Council of Jerusalem. What did he say about Pentecost? What did he say about the infilling of the Holy Spirit among the Gentiles? Listen to these words. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledging them, the Gentiles, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And what happened? And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Purifying sanctifying their hearts by faith so that they were enabled to do what God wanted them to do, which is to love him with all of their hearts, with all of their minds, with all of their strengths. And the second, that is like it to love their neighbor as they love themselves with a perfect love. It's possible through the Holy Spirit. I've seen it lived out with some people. I've seen it lived out. This kind of life that God is calling us to, to be separated in the world, to be dedicated to him, to be filled by the spirit, to be purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, to love him with all of our heart. My friends, I believe that this is the gospel in total. In total. This is the life that Christ died for us so that we may live this kind of life. Not when we get to heaven, but in the here and the now. We need witnesses now, not in heaven. We need witnesses now. Be a lighthouse of holiness. To be a lighthouse of holiness. That leads to my next point. It says, 
or the gospel, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness. Preach here means to publicly proclaim. To publicly proclaim. It means we don't keep our mouths shut. And we say it in public. Not in private to our already saved believers, but in public to those who are not saved. This is the gospel, right? That we must publicly proclaim. Proclaim. It's a form of praise. You know that? I think it's one of the highest the highest praise that we can give God is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially in His fullness. Proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness like Lazarus into His marvelous light. This is praising God. Evangelism is praising God. It's praising God. It's a form of worship. It's all too easy to sing with our lips, isn't it? Right? But when it comes from out the heart and it's in public, oh boy. I think God gets a kick out of that, to be honest with you. I love evangelism. It's, it's my fix, man. I'm addicted. I love it. Right? It's great. But it's not just the pastor. It's not just for the pastor. We need to get past this understanding, this lie. But it's for the people in the pews too. It's for all believers to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are those who are sent by God for this particular purpose, whose lives are dedicated for spreading the gospel. I understand that and I rejoice because God calls people like that. I think it's great. It's great. But the whole church, the whole church, as Paul said, he was speaking of all those who are saved by grace, by faith. What did he say to all those who are saved by grace, by grace through faith? For we are his workmanship, all of us. All of us are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That means to do something for Jesus. That's what it means. We're not saved by doing something for Jesus, but we're saved to do something for Jesus. To do something for Jesus. Saved by grace through faith so that we are his workmanship to do good works. Well, what is a greater work than sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? With others, I'm excited about our mission at the moment because several have joined us. My vision for Mexico was this that was given me, is there's not just one or two individuals in the church, but there's a whole church, a lighthouse. A lighthouse of holiness going out into the world together. Everybody playing a part in this. Playing a part in this. And that part is praying. A part of it is praying, yes, but it's not staying praying. Right? It's getting out and doing something. Getting out and doing something. I guarantee if you start praying for people, for God to put people in your path to witness to, He will. He will. He will. He'll give you lots of opportunity. Wherever I go, He gives me opportunity. On the way here, just on the way here, talking to somebody on the plane. Even preaching on the plane. He gives you plenty of opportunity to preach the gospel. The question is, will you take it? You miss the blessing if you don't. You miss the blessing. It's a blessing. It's not a curse. Some of us walk around like it's a curse. Oh no, we've got to preach the gospel. No, it's a joy. Praise God that you can preach the gospel. It's a joy. Someone who is a witness is someone who bears testimony to something that happened. 
something that happened. First, we bear witness to the life that Jesus Christ has given us. John, I'm talking about the apostle here, witnessed the resurrection of the Lord. He wrote these words in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, that which was from the beginning, which we heard, speaking of the gospel here, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. We're talking about Jesus and his resurrection. This life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So these disciples, they actually bore witness of the risen Jesus. And you might say to yourself, well, I've never seen Jesus. Yes, you have. You have seen Jesus. You have borne witness. How? Remember Jesus said, what did he say to to doubting Thomas? When Thomas finally saw him, remember he doubted. He said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. What is the blessing we are given? We are given life in his name because not having seen, we have believed. But when we have believed, he has opened up our eyes. It's as if we have been at that open grave door and we have seen the empty bed and we have seen Jesus in the garden walking. That's what it means. That's the blessing that we receive. Yes, we have. I have seen the risen Lord with the eyes of my heart. He has given me life. Eternal life. Yes, I do bear witness. And everybody who has borne witness to this life has a witness to that life to give. The blessing was given by the risen Christ. Amen. It's a gift of life and this life is manifested in us. And we have seen with the eyes of faith and we declare that life. Just as with John. John, the life was manifested. It's been manifested in me. And we have seen. It has been seen within me. And now I bear witness without me. And declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Yes, I have seen. I have seen. Praise His holy name. But we also bear witness not to the life, but to the light of the gospel. To the light of the gospel. What does that mean? What does that mean exactly? To bear witness to the light of the gospel. Well, I want to take you to the golden lampstands in the Old, te- the Old Testament. The golden lampstands in the tabernacle. They have much significance to the church today. The golden lampstand. It would have been, I believe, on the right side if you walked in to the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but into the holy place. The lampstands. It says in Exodus 25, 37, you shall make seven lamps for it and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. So you have three lamps on either side and one lamp that was in the middle. That makes seven lamps altogether. I'm not going to go into too much detail detail about the, the lampstand at the moment. But understand this, This lampstand, it says in Revelation chapter 1 and 20, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. The lampstand, just to make this short here, is the church. It represents the church of God. 
It is the responsibility together, together to be a light to the world. The purpose of the lamp, as it said in that verse in Exodus, was to give light in front of it. That was the purpose of the lamp. And that is the purpose of the church. You, Jesus said, that's the church, are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the lampstand of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. The, the light of a true church cannot be hidden, especially at nighttime. At nighttime, because of its light, we are not to hide it as someone might put a lamp under a basket. It's of no use. It's of no use, but so many are hiding that witness that they have both to the life and to the light. To the light. You can pray in your closets, my friend, but don't hide in them. Think about that. You can pray in your closets, but don't hide in them. Yes, we need closet prayer, but we need light to get out of the closet. Prayers in a closet without light will soon go out. Will soon go out. It's important also that we proclaim the gospel with our mouth as light to claim the wisdom and the knowledge that we've received. It's important to proclaim that with our mouths. But there are two things about the olive oil that was used in the lamp in the temple. In Exodus 27 and verse 20, it says these words, And you shall command, God was speaking to Moses here, the children of Israel, that they may bring you what kind of oil? Pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. There were two things. First of all, pure oil, and then it would have to burn continually. That was continually throughout the night. The oil in the lamp, first of all, was pure. It was pure olive oil that was pressed in a special way so that it maintained its purity. Its purity. And even the gold itself that the candle, the lamps were made out of was pure gold. Pure gold that, that glistened in harmony with the pure olive oil that was burning in the night. Listen, what does that mean to me today? What does that mean? Remember that we are to proclaim truth and knowledge. But our lives that we live must be in harmony with the truth that we proclaim, that we proclaim as a witness. So it's not just proclaiming with our mouth, it's being a witness with our very lives to others in all that we do. And this gospel of the kingdom will not be hidden. Why? Why will it not be hidden? Because it's in such sharp contrast to the world around it. Just as light and darkness. It's in contrast. You understand that? It cannot be hidden. It cannot be hidden. But I'm afraid to say that so many are being hidden today because their lights are not pure. They're not pure. They haven't been sanctified. The fire of the Holy Spirit. It's the complete opposite. It's 
is what I pray for for Ashbury. My concern with Ashbury is what it's teaching. I praise God that they've had revival, but if that doesn't change what they are teaching, it's a waste of time. They're pushing the woke doctrine. They're pushing theistic evolution. They're pushing all this kind of teaching. They're against God. That needs to be changed. They need to be burning with pure oil once again. That's real revival. That's real revival. That's what we need to see. If not, it's just emotion. It's just emotion. I believe that the Spirit is stirring something up there, but what our response is to the Spirit, I've yet, I need to see. I need to see. We need to be pure. Think about this one, my friends. Do all things without complaining and disputing. How's your attitude? And your witness. That you may become blameless and harmless. When? When I get to heaven? Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In the midst, I am to become uh, blameless and harmless in my life as a child of God. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we are witnessing a crooked and perverse generation. And so many of us spend our time sitting around and complaining about those things without doing anything about it. Without being a pure light to the world. This is what the world needs. Is a church to be a witness in this day and age. Why is America so dark? I'll tell you why. Because the church isn't so bright anymore. The brightness of the church would expel the darkness of America. It would expel the darkness of America. We need to remove those stinky grave clothes that we have on. Remove them. If you've got some on today, get them off. We need to remove those grave clothes. We're separated from the world. It's a strange thing, isn't it? We go into the world separated from the world, but that's the type of gospel message that will win people to Christ. Really win them. Because they will see a difference in your life. They'll see a resurrection. They'll see light. They'll see purity. What attracted me to my wife? I'll tell you what attracted me to my wife. I wasn't walking with the Lord. I wasn't saved. I don't believe you can have one without the other, by the way. I believe that if you're with the Lord, you're walking with the Lord. I don't preach that gospel. I don't see it in the scriptures. But she was pure. And I could see something different about that. I could see something that my father had taught me as an evangelist for many years. And I had left behind me a long time ago. And boy, I wanted that back. I wanted what she had. She had something different from me that I longed for. I wanted that so desperately. It was such a witness to me. She didn't have to say anything to me. You know, I already knew the gospel story my father taught me. I I got saved the night when I was going home. uh, And I drove by an old cross on the side of the uh, the road. This is why the devil wants to remove these crosses, by the way. But I drove by an old cross on the side of the road. And the Lord said to me, you know the way. You know the way. I had the knowledge. I had the information. I had them all my life. I used to sit and talk about them when I was drinking in, 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 in a bar. But I didn't have the purity. I hadn't laid a hold of it and made it my own. And she had something that I longed for in my life. I could see a purity in her. And I went back that night and I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I said, this is it. I was taught an all or nothing gospel. He called todo or nada in Mexico. It's all or nothing. I said, this is it. doesn't matter what it costs me. My friends, my reputation, 
my riches and yours. I give it all to you. In that moment, Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me. I embraced the night. I knew already that I would have to turn from my sin. Yes, I knew that. We don't do anybody any favors by neglecting that part of the gospel. Yes, you must repent. You must repent. We see so many books written these days. The purpose-driven life. What's the big problem with the purpose-driven life? It doesn't have the word repent in it. You can read it from page to page, but you won't see it. I'll tell you why. Because that kind of gospel is not pleasing to the flesh. And people love their darkness, so they pick up those books, and it makes them feel comfortable. And they can go on in their sin thinking that they are saved. That's what happens. A lot go witnessing with their stinky grave clothes on, don't they? Lazarus was raised from the dead and came out into the light. He was a witness, wasn't he, to others? They wanted to kill him. The Pharisees wanted to kill him because he was a witness. There was a change in this man's life. He was dead. He was in darkness. But now he was alive and he was walking the light and they wanted to kill him. This is what we should be. People were surprised to see him. Are they surprised to see the difference in your life? Are they surprised? Or you just look like everybody else every day? Do they know you're different in your workplace? Do they know you're different in your home? Are you a witness to the life and to the light of Jesus Christ? Because on account of him, the Bible says, Lazarus, listen, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Many of the Jews, because of Lazarus, here's a man. He was dead. He was dead. And here he is. He's alive. He's alive again. There's something different about this man. I, I, I don't imagine what it would look like, but I, I could just see the joy on, on Lazarus's face. Can you imagine that? Right? And walking in the light once again, out of the darkness. Boy, he made a difference. When I first went to the Puntos, I could hardly speak the language. I didn't realize this at first, what was happening. I was kind of ignorant of it. I, I, I think that God kept me ignorant of it so I wouldn't be proud of it. But I didn't know the language, and I often used to stand around this old punto, this abandoned church, for hours. Some people thought, as they said last night, that I was investigating them because they were selling drugs there. But uh, one night, he was a dealer. He asked me, he asked me this question. He said, why are you here? Why are you here? What, what, what would bring you to this place? You live in America. To, to, to the Mexican, they see this as a land of, of opportunity, a land of comfort, a land of, of, of riches. Why would you leave all of that to come here to this place? And I explained it to him that day, but it was another man that interests me here. His name is Rogelio. And he came to the Punto and I began to talk to him. He spoke some broken English. And so the conversation was going a lot better than normal, we could say. But I hadn't even shared the gospel with him yet. And Rogelio suddenly looked at me. It's as if that tomb had been opened up by Jesus on its own. And he looked at me with this light he'd received. He wasn't saved yet. He had some understanding. And he looked at me. And he said to me, this is the love of God, isn't it? And I was dumbfounded. I was dumbfounded. I said, what is the love of God? 
He said that, that you would come here. That God would send you to such a place as this. This is, beloved, people don't come here for a vacation. This must be something else. And I hadn't realized to that point. Yes, I've been saying to the Lord, Lord, I can't speak the language. Why do you have me here? He said, just stand there. Just stand there. Just be my witness for me. And they will see. I will open up the eyes of the blind. I will command that the tombstone be removed. Just stand there. Stand there, my son. Stand there. And I hadn't seen it to this point. And he just looked at me and said, this is the love of God. This is the love. That man is still not yet saved, but I guarantee that he's still thinking about that. He's still thinking about that. Why? It's separation from the world. The world wants to go on in its safety and its security and its riches. Right. It's a separation. But there's one more thing about that lampstand I would like to say. I would like to say here. Exodus 27 and verse 20 says this, And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually, perpetually. It was to burn perpetually. Aaron would have to keep that light and the lamp burning throughout the night. Let me understand this. We're in the night right now. The morning is coming, but we need to keep that light lit perpetually, continually shining. It took me a while to get this, but it doesn't turn off when you get home. I used to come home and I I was exhausted with ministry. I was exhausted with ministry. My wife would ask me to do something. I'm tired. No, it says perpetually, continually. It must be. What, what, What enables that? What enables this light to burn with such purity? What enables this light to burn with perpetuality? What enables that? I'll tell you what enables it. The oil is the Holy Spirit. This is what we need. We cannot do it as we've said again and again in this conference in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit when I get home. As well as at the punto. It's tiring. It's tiring. I was tired this morning. I said, God, I need you. I need you, Holy Spirit, to burn this morning, to burn perpetually for you, to be a pure and a perpetual light. It's impossible with us. As Travis was preaching about last night, we are to watch. There's a continuality about that word to watch perpetually until the day of his coming. I don't want to be caught unaware. I want to be burning brightly when he comes. I don't want to be those those virgins that neglected the oil. And so many of my friends, listen, listen to this this morning. I'm not just trying to pick on the church. I'm not here to point the church. I want to see the church changed. But we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit back in our preaching. We need the Holy Spirit back in our purity and our perpetuality. We need the Holy Spirit. It's only possible. It's only possible through the Holy Spirit. That's the oil that we need. That's the pure oil that keeps us burning, that keeps us pure. Listen, my friend, tarry. What did Jesus say at first to the disciples when he left? Go into Jerusalem, Judea, and the rest of the world. That's what we do in the church today. We immediately start planning at our our meetings. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Then we're going to do this. We're going to do that. No, you're not. 
You need to tarry and wait for the Holy Spirit before you can be a witness. You need to be endued with power from on high. Or you'll make a golden calf. That's what you'll do. You'll make a golden calf. You need to wait. That's what the problem was Moses. They couldn't wait for him to get down the mountain. So they made their own plans. It was not according to Scripture. They couldn't wait for a word from the Lord. We need to tarry. Oh, yes. It was a Pentecost at Mount Sinai. They needed to wait upon the Lord. They got it wrong. The apostles got it right. They tarried in Jerusalem for 10 days. It's not a set amount of time. But we don't like to tarry. We want to drive up to the first window, make our order from God, pick it up at the next and be gone. We don't want to tarry. We don't want to tarry. Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to say this again. We need to be tarrying in prayer. I, I shouldn't have to push. We've been a Christian for a while. We should be disciplined in our prayer lives. In our prayer lives, we need to tarry, 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 tarry. Wait, in other words, upon the Lord. It's a word we don't like in our culture today. It's a word we resent in our culture today. We don't like, wait, we have everything so fast. Don't we in the society? We don't want to tarry. But I praise God there are a few people this morning that have given time in their busy schedules to make, to, to, to make a time to come here. We need to spend this time wisely. We need to tarry. Listen to this. This is the conclusion of that verse I started with. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then, then, the end will come. Then the end, the end will come. Just as the gospel will be preached, the end will come. First of all, the gospel needs to be preached in the whole world. That's what we're about at the moment. The end will come. And I want to be with those who are preaching the gospel on that day. I don't know what your eschatology looks like. But I'm going to tell you something right now. The end is coming. Whatever your eschatology is, whatever your end times view is, it's going to come. And I want to be preaching the gospel. And I believe that there's going to be a mass scale revival in the last days. Because it's here. In the gospel. The gospel will be preached. We get so stuck on all the signs. And we forget about the souls that Jesus Christ is interested in. In the last days. We do. I mean, study the signs, brother. Praise God for the signs, but we need to be saving souls. You can talk all day about the signs, but souls are going to hell. The end will come. The end will come. It's coming. And we need to be ready. We need to be shining brightly. We need to be pure, perpetually pure. In contrast to this world, we need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 